Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. Often in PR measurement, there's a lot of focus on counts. So whether that's counts of brand mentions or quotes or branded images included in our coverage, we count all of those up and that gives us a gauge of success. However, the most important area in PR is really how the brand is talked about, whether it's been described in a positive or a negative light. That is called sentiment. Sentiment hasn't always been trusted in PR and that's often because it's had to be corrected because it might have been automated by a machine and often even if it has been tracked by a human, human mistakes can happen. But it's because it's so difficult to do. Points can be misread, there's varying languages, slang has to be taken into consideration. That's not to mention the increase in social posts we now have and all of the different emojis that are used and the varying meanings of emojis too. However, with new techniques and from new comms analysis experts and with new techniques in machine learning and AI, it is becoming more and more trusted. In this episode, I'm interviewing those experts to find out more. I'm joined by Steph Bridgman, who heads up experienced media analysts, and Maya Kaliva, who heads up Insight at Cometric, They've both been working together for years on sentiment tracking and really are the experts in this field. They share with me all of their wisdom, so how they've been tracking sentiment with teams of humans, but also how they have been teaching machines to be able to track different languages and slang. And they also share their best tips on how you can do the same in your own campaign analysis too. Here's Maya and Steph. I am at the PR Week Measurement Conference and it is Measurement Month. So I have managed to grab Steph Bridgman and (laughs) Maya Colliver from the conference. Thank you for popping out and seeing me. We're here to talk about sentiment. Now, it's an interesting time to talk about sentiment because there is a lot more machine learning now. It's not just a human process. But also we have more and more social posts and not just articles coming into our reports. So I've grabbed the measurement experts who are going through all of these articles and social posts in order to measure and evaluate success to talk to me about sentiment. So my name's Steph Bridgman and I um, head up a, a freelance collective of media analysts. We call ourselves experienced media analysts. And we, we've been working with many of the really big measurement brands over the past 20 years to provide humans um, to power some of their human-based coding. Uh, I work a lot here with Maya, uh, she's one of my clients, and we've been working on a lot of analysis for a particular key client in, in, in recent years. Um, Maya, tell us a little bit more about um, where you work? Well, I work at Cometric and we have already like 20 years of history in media measurement and um, comms evaluation. And we have always been a company powered by technology. Um, we have been using natural language processing and um, a lot of um, proprietary tools to help us process content, but always the human aspect and the human analyst has been uh, a key part of the mix. Now, in the past couple of years, we started developing more and more uh, machine learning um, know-how and uh, technologies to 
be faster. And uh, we, of course, still are on the uh, human side and will be on the human side in terms of meeting specific client needs and being agile and being able to adapt to different measurement programs. Um, but I'm kind of here to talk a little bit more about how automation machine learning can help us with the challenge of social content and sentiment detection. Okay, so we have humans tracking sentiment and going through articles and then we also have more and more machine learning. So both of you have experience in both of those areas. Before we get into the, I have lots of questions around the machine learning element, but let's get back to sort of basics. How have measurement organizations like yours, Steph, traditionally tracked sentiment in, in evaluation? Literally, how do you do that? Do you read an article? Do you have people um, having keywords that you're looking out for? How does it normally work from a human element? So, yeah, if we think about it from the point of view of a long-form piece of news coverage, it has various constituent parts. It'll have its headline, its first paragraph, the main body of the article, perhaps some graphics and maybe some reader comments at the bottom. Each of those elements typically will get broken down and assessed to, to understand whether they're positive, neutral or, or negative towards the organisation. And I suppose when you're thinking about sentiment, it, it's all a question of, well, from whose point of view are you reading the sentiment from? I think that's perhaps when automation first came, came into the equation, that's where some of the challenge was because the computer didn't necessarily know from whose point of view you're, you're assessing sentiment from. So, you know, if you're um, a bank, for example, there might be five different banks mentioned in a piece of news coverage and it might be saying one positive thing about one bank and a negative thing about a negative bank. If you're a government organisation, for example, the coverage might not actually even be mentioning you, the government organisation, so it's not necessarily praising you or saying positive things about you as an organisation, but perhaps the aim of that particular piece of, of PR is to deliver key messages or, or make some kind of behaviour change. So for, from the point of view of that organisation, um, we're not looking for overtly favourable or, or negative art, uh, elements of the article to assess sentiment. We're looking for, for elements such as message delivery or perhaps presence of links or so on to, to assess what's, what's favourable to that organisation. So the way you assess sentiment can be different for different clients. Uh, and that's kind of, I think, a key point to think about, first of all, is from whose point of view are you measuring the sentiment from and what does favourable look like? Because it's not always obvious um, from the choice of the words used. And how does that, so I, I guess when a human is reading through that, your team are reading through that, it's a, it's a count that's added up as, as, as much as you would be looking for brand mentions or branded images in measurement, it's all counted up and that's at the end. How on earth does that work with machine learning? Well, you have to have tagged data so that you can train a model. All of uh, my research and my work in the past couple of years has been into defining what is the good data that can yield an accurate model. And if you go generic into like some dumb automation based around keywords and a small sample, you're not going to get anything reasonable. Like I can give you a very recent example. I was doing a, a social media research for completely non-business purposes. I, was, I just wanted to pick a phone. I wanted to pick a new phone. And then I wanted to look at the negative tweets about uh, a phone I was on the lookout. And basically the tweets, like 50 or 70% of uh, all of the negative tweets were running like 
I hate my iPhone. I'm never going to buy an iPhone. I'm switching to X product instead. And these were negative pro uh, tweets for the X product. And in fact, they are actually quite, quite positive. So the automation you would see on um, some of the SaaS platforms would give you this kind of result. And that's meaningless from any point of view. So this is why what my team ended up doing is basically working with existing data sets our human analysts have created and tagged to teach models per client and per industry because um, uh, sentiment in one industry would likely be similar in terms of wording, in terms of logic of how this is derived, but there's always the target entity, the target company, client, or whatever it is that is the pivot that we have to go around. Can you take learning from, so you said if you have one industry that you can start to understand the language that's used in that industry, can you share that insights from one client to another client if it is in the same industry? Do you see sort of similarities in language or words or do you keep it per client? Well, we would keep it per client, but the logic would not be much different. Besides, a lot of our clients would require a competitive benchmark. So in the measurement program for one client, we would actually be processing content for, let's say, five more competitors. We, of course, as normally agencies would do, we would not sell this data and research results to that potential client base because it's not okay. <laughs> do you find that it would be a challenge if somebody just wanted to evaluate sentiment just for one campaign? Do you find that because you're machine learning, you're picking up insights around certain language or words, that it's better to just work on an ongoing basis with a brand is it still possible just to have this for one campaign yes but with probably more human in the loop than on an ongoing basis certainly need to add a more significant level of manual reviewing i mean for any program i wouldn't rely on the results of uh, the, an algorithm output only there will always be a human analyst or team of analysts reviewing and um, making sure, kind of confirming whether the algorithm did it right and uh, hopefully tweaking the algorithm if there is a, a consistent error. The approach we take, you know, we might take we may take an export for one of those SaaS tools where they're automated sentiment showing, but we would typically deep dive into the negative stuff and correct that because often it's wrong we would deep dive into the positive stuff and correct that. And then we would use some kind of keyword tracking within the neutral stuff yes. to look for some obvious positives or obvious negatives that might have been missed. Yes. And with the um, type of um, results and automation I see from most, most of the SaaS providers I've looked at, the sentiment can be very, very accurate on um, clear and partisan discussions. Like, for instance, if you take as an example the US political uh, landscape, if, it's, if you look at data about the current U.S. president, likely the sentiment would be really accurate because it's not so hard to determine who would be the supporters and who would be the opposers. And the language they use is kind of straightforward. It's the gray area even is kind of well-defined, where is the balance. But for pretty much any brand-oriented uh, sample I've seen, I'm not convinced by the results. And there's so much, of course, with the specific language of social, the irony, the satirical posts, that the trolling, that is not really hard to translate to a human brain because we all have so different uh, understanding of what is irony. 
let alone for an algorithm. Let alone in different languages as well. So, I mean, how, how do you do that? Again, human process and machine learning as well. If you have a campaign that's in multi-markets and you need to track sentiment, how do you do that? It must be impossible. If you're working on a smaller brand with a smaller body of actual media mentions, content, social media, it's often quicker and simpler to do it manually than it is to program the computer in multiple languages with multiple translations of, of slang and so on. So if you're a huge multinational corporation, then obviously some of those tools do make sense. In fact, a lot of the machine learning models can be language neutral. So you can train model on English language, but then you would use uh, well-known technologies that are out there and are researched a lot, uh, like Word2Vec, word which is basically every word gets its own number in a coordinate system of meaning. So effectively, you, you, create, you use English to create a model, and then Word2Vec makes it meaning-centered model, not language-centered model and you can use the same model for other languages and of course your accuracy would be lower with other languages but it's still quite high and uh, for if you have enough body of data to test and uh, train then likely you wouldn't need to go the route to translate anything. This podcast is brought to you by Coverage Book, the reporting tool that's made by PR people for PR people. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. Where are we at right now? How has it progressed in the last five years through the evaluation and where we are at with machine learning? What has changed? Is there, a bit, is there lots of time saved? Is the process easier? Are we getting better results? I think in terms of uh, content out there, it's growing exponentially. So I think our challenge is often trying to sample the huge volumes of data that are mentioning our client out there, perhaps on social media or even in online news. Whereas the challenge before was to find the content and, yep. and to analyse it, the challenge now is to find a meaningful small segment of that content to analyse perhaps in more, yep. more greater detail. It's about smaller sample sizes. Smart sampling is certainly a consideration, it's a challenge. I will also say that um, clients, at least multiple clients I work with, are growing more and more demanding and more knowledgeable. A lot of um, my clients know very well that they can get some ready output from SaaS platforms and they want to question why we would offer something better, something more meaningful for them. Besides, they also know that SaaS platforms provide them with a click of a, a button they it provides them some data and they of course demand that we would be finding a way to provide this data fast faster than we used to so this is what uh, we had to do but also what i'm increasingly seeing is clients questioning defining redefining their sentiment scale and i think this is something we could actually uh, have a little bit of chat on how do we define the sentiment scale because it could be uh, as simple as positive neutral negative but it could also be a 100% net sentiment scale or like 100 to minus 100 or it could be point scale or it could be five scale or it could be my recent most favorite four scale. The four scale sentiment scale I think is now growing in demand for in industries that are more prone to issues and by four scale sentiment I mean positive and negative and then in the middle you have neutral which is just factual and balanced which is content that features both positive and negative messaging. This is very hard for machine learning models, to the balance part. 
And this is something where I'm seeing a lot of challenges and I will be obviously working on quite a lot in the next... Can you give us an example of that? I know that you won't be able to talk about your exact clients, but even if you could say X, just to give us an idea, and especially from a practitioner's perspective, like how much input, what is positive, what is negative. So my brand has a bad ingredient and we we had to protect that and it's out in the press. Obviously, that's quite simple, positive, negative, whether it was talked about or not. What's this sort of in-between area? Is there like an example? Well, if you are in an industry that is prone to issues, like for instance, imagine you're in um, technologies, imagine you're a large provider of social media services and you get constantly attacked on at least three fronts, let's say user privacy, taxation, where are you paying your taxes, are you being fair? So there is a ton lots of negative press around you and being able to balance out means being able to push forward your messaging says uh, we are compliant our business is legal uh, we pay as much taxes as the law requires us to this is already you balancing out the negative statements on the privacy side uh, we have introduced a new feature we are giving the user more control now you can, can tweak your settings and uh, we are be- being very conscious that you want to be more private and this is a some messaging that is not going to turn around a critical debate in your favor. But if you make the minus in a zero, this is a success story. And if you are a communication person, this is how you have to prove your success in mitigating crisis, not necessarily, you know, making it a fairy tale again. It works particularly well for those corporates that are suffering some element of negativity, but who are yeah are trying yeah. to demonstrate the, the small impact they can have by pushing out their statements. And overall... The, the, the consumer's perception of that piece is probably still negative towards that organisation, but I think it's important within an internal PR reporting structure for those comms people to be able to, to demonstrate the impact that they did have on some of that negative coverage. And most of your clients from a crisis department, or do you have all sorts of different types of clients? I've worked literally with thousands of different clients over the years, but that's because I've been fortunate to work with so many different measurement agencies who have got hundreds of clients, and so by default, I've worked on thousands of clients um, but sometimes the most interesting pieces of work I've, I've done are actually with the smaller clients with the smallest budgets where you have to be most inventive about the measurement that you're doing and the data sources from which um, you're getting that um, some clients come to me and they don't even have media monitoring in place but they want to understand um, you know the impact of, of, of their media coverage so you have to be inventive in finding the coverage and looking at other sources of content perhaps looking at social media mentions but also looking at other things related to, to their brand such as search answer the public is great I use it all the time that's quite interesting you saying that some of the most interesting ones are some of the smaller clients who might not even have monitoring in place we've also looked at like in-depth analysis when there's positive negative and everything in between where so it's there might be a crisis department where they have to look at sentiment as part of their day-to-day. I think going back to basics, especially because we have lots of customers with Coverage Book who might be generating reports and for the listeners who aren't aware of what the reports look like within Coverage Book, we pull in metrics, but there, is, there isn't that evaluation process. That's something that comes after Coverage Book or maybe before. But um, for somebody, maybe a team who haven't looked at sentiment as part of their measurement, 
ever before, and they might be listening to this, where do you start? And how much hand-holding do you do with, with your clients if they are just starting out in this festival? If we think about many, I, I don't know all of the coverage book clients, but I think a lot of them, you're going to get a lot of agencies, a lot of consumer brands. And to a certain extent, sentiment is perhaps less of an issue for those kind of brands because they ultimately receive favourable coverage. It's either factual and delivering messages about them, but that could be perceived as favourable, or it's it, it's really favourable because it's got some overtly favourable statements. I think where the challenges are, are when you're working in those industries that do have issues, negative issues, you know, that kind of negative content can do things like impact their share price and so on. One of my favourite examples in, um, you know, how to define what is positive and what is negative in a discussion with clients, I remember uh, it was way back in 2010 probably, we delivered a report. So it was already on the report delivery stage. It was not when we were setting the report up. And the client had like 15% negative coverage. And it was all uh, related to the topic of uh, employee relations because they had tons of job cuts. And they said, this is not negative coverage. This is positive coverage for us because we are optimizing our business and our share price went up. And we were very, very surprised. It was like, come on, but this is consumer, this is national press, this is uh, regional press, this is not business media. I mean, obviously it's negative. And they were so vehemently in disagreement that we, that we had to redo a full, a full report because they said that job cuts is favorable and we still are not convinced. But that goes back to my point at the beginning about yeah. from whose point of view are you measuring the sentiment? Are you reporting from the point of view of the man on the street reading your coverage? Are you assessing sentiment from the point of view of the shareholders who want to save money? And those things like job cuts is a perfect example of it's positive for one, but, but negative for another. You hugely need the input of your clients. It's not that you can just be sent to report and say, hey, can you, we've got all of these clips here. There's a thousand clips from the last quarter. Can you just do some sentiment for me? Like you have to have that insight and to say, okay, so the objective of the brand was this. In the last quarter, we were aiming for share price to go up and the CEO wants to see X, Y, and Z. I mean, you really have to have that detail, right? There's a lot of context around sentiment and typically when when we work with a client at the initial stage, we'll sit down and have a briefing session around sentiment to make sure everybody's on the same page as to what favourable looks like and what negative looks like. I think that's really key. Including it's always um, uh, advisable to have, I mean, I can't really recall um, ever to have delivered a report that is focused only on sentiment. Sentiment to me is like the must-have metric in almost any report that we do, but it's not so meaningful in isolation. It has to be cross-referred to other metrics, other performance metrics, including uh, what is your uh, proactive versus your reactive or organic coverage, or what are the teams that are appearing, and which of those teams are you trying to push forward and associate with your brand more than others. And obviously, like investigations or lawsuits would not be your favorite topic of coverage unless you are actually actively pursuing them and winning them, I guess. But we kind of talk about the metrics and what we expect to see in terms of uh, their relationship to sentiment. And we have to know also in the ideal case when the client is is and or can be transparent, they would say we would expect these issues to come in and we would expect this coverage to be negative. Or we are um, doing this proactive announcements and we expect this coverage to be picked up rather well. And these are things that we want to consider, we want to know, and we want to put this part in part of the briefing, uh, both for the human analysts who are working on it and then eventually put this as an essential part of the model that is at one point going to take over 
and do the tons of content processing on the go. I think what can be really interesting, especially thinking of these big corporate examples, is often when you're in a crisis situation and the importance of being quite objective about sentiment, we often find that clients think that it's been really ne negative mm -hmm. because they've been amongst the crisis and dealing with it and so they're tired and emotional and think everything's negative. And often by having either objective, automated sentiment or human-based sentiment, but by a team of people that sit externally from that uh, operation, you know, you can get a, a more objective view of, of the actual sentiment and, you know, things like the impact of media statements that were put out to mitigate negativity. So yeah. I think that's an important thing to, to take note of as well. So you could have quite a few different angles then at the end of a, an evaluation for a client, potentially. Depends on which point of view you're... you're even within a particular client brief, you can be measuring sentiment from different points of view within the same article on a yes. article level, on a theme level compared against competitors, it can get really complicated. Oh, that also kind of goes back to the, to the scale, uh, because the scale also relates to the level of analysis. So sometimes the headline sentiment is really important because it directly relates to the social media bus, because when you share content on Twitter, for instance, you share the headline. And if your headline is very critical, then there's going to be a spike in negativity on social. And even though the article down under that headline might be quite balanced and okay, this is not something that's going to end up on Twitter. So this is not going to be the buzz. So this is why a lot of our clients have ended up being very vigilant about headline sentiment. So taking that example, so one article, analyzing from, as an article, neutral potentially, but as soon as that headline goes onto Twitter, would it then be negative because the headline was negative? Yes. That's so interesting. I had never really thought about it like that. But it's, of course, then if there's any sort of retweets or comments, it's still going to be seen as and negative. And that's the perception that the people reading about it on yeah. social media will be taking away. So you find on so if you compare sentiment for, for a brand on online news compared to social, it's more polarised on social. You get the greater proportion of positive and a greater proportion of negative. Because ultimately, uh, that's what we do on social. We don't say, I had an okay day. We either say, I had a good day or a bad day. So you see those kind of scales. And besides, uh, even when uh, we apply this uh, layered four scale sentiment, on social, we would rarely see the balanced viewpoint because you don't really have the enough space to present a positive and a negative viewpoint. Um, and this is why the balance would be in the long form. Yeah, yeah, Mostly. obviously space is limited in a tweet. Um, so Just going back to the machine learning and sticking with that example that we just looked at, how would a machine be able to identify between the two? Is it because it's literally just reading the headline in a, in a tweet? Or would that have to be a human element to decide whether it's positive or negative? To be honest, for me, training a model on Twitter is much easier because it's shorter form and there's not so much ambiguity as with the long form. Uh, so training a sentiment and a very accurate sentiment model on Twitter data is fairly easy. It's not a big challenge in machine learning. Training a sentiment model on long form where there is a balanced point in the scale, this is a challenge. Twitter in itself is actually kind of a good playground. But, but then the hard thing about social media is unless people are retweeting well-formed newspaper headlines, people often can't spell and so... 
how, how do you deal with all the, the spelling mistakes that you see on well, social media? The, spelling, the grammar. I mean, the spelling mistakes uh, are an outlier. They would present some sort of ambiguity and inconsistency in your data set. But for instance, um, if you were talking about jargon or like social media slang, that's just another language. And you can train a model on slang just as easily as you can train on any other language. You can train the, the model on the idea of sentiment of the emojis, for example, or the sentiment of the pictures. That's so interesting because I know that when, Steph, when we first started to talk about sentiment, I always had in my head that I, was like, I wanted to do a podcast about this because I just feel like I'm seeing more and more reports coming into Coverage Book, reports from our customers, and there's more social posts now outweighing traditional sort of online news articles. And it just got, it, in my head, it's just like, it must be impossible to uh, look at sentiment from the increase of slang in tweets and different posts. Actually, like you say, it's just another language. I hadn't really looked at it like that. It's so interesting. There must be new words all of the time being brought into UK slang, let alone all of the other languages. How do you keep track of that and then update all of your machines across all of your clients? Well... There must be a human in the loop. I mean, if you have an algorithm working in isolation, that eventually it will be outdated because of the development of natural language, the way people speak and write. So if my team spots a um, huge amount of new words that they've never come across as humans, then probably there will be a need to retrain models. But to be fair, I mean, we're not there yet. I mean, maybe if I don't touch a model and look at it uh, five years from now, I'll be running into this type of situation but now no it's not an issue right now is it a good assumption that this is easier in the b2b world because there's less slang being used on social media no, there's so much jargon written in the b2b That's world true. half the time you're reading b2b type of content and it makes no sense does it because it's not written for, for humans so i'd say it's as hard sometimes in press good point good point <laughs> and just going back to a practitioner's perspective point of view and who might just be starting out this from scratch and maybe isn't at the level to go through sort of a big organization and is just starting to track sentiment themselves. How do you start? Do you just literally count certain words or do you just analyze it yourself and then deliver that message in your presentation? How do you process it when you first start with this? You have an Excel spreadsheet? Yeah, I mean, on a simple scale, have an Excel spreadsheet where you log your coverage and one of your columns will be sentiment and you might have other columns for things like message delivery and presence of a link and so on. But I think importantly is to sort of take a step back and think, well, what are you trying to achieve through the activity that you're measuring? So are you trying to say something positive about the company or are you just trying to deliver a simple message about a product or so on are you trying to rebut something in relation to a negative issue so it's about thinking about what favorable or unfavorable looks like and 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 then creating perhaps a set of guidelines for yourself and for your team so that you can be consistent in the way you approach that analysis yeah i can imagine consistency is absolutely key with this isn't it Yes, if you have inconsistent data, you're going to have wrong results. And if you have uh, inconsistent data, you cannot use it to train an accurate model because it's going to deliver as wrongful results as your inconsistent data in the first place. So being consistent is really key. And this means that a whole team of analysts, regardless whether there are two or 20 or 200, have to be briefed the same way. There has to be some QC procedures in the way. There have to be lead analysts who will be literally checking after the juniors. And in the end, humans can't be 
100% accurate. And humans can't be 100% consistent. Even one person can be uh, consistent with themselves. Like, for instance, if you're reading tweets manually and tagging them for sentiment, in the morning you might be in a bad mood and just be more neutral and negative. And in the evening you might be, oh, oh my, the workday is almost over. Let's just put some positive here. So it's it's key. It's really, it's a challenge. And this is why once we're okay with the QC data set and we believe it's good enough to train a model, then eventually the model might do a better job. Where do metrics come into this? We've talked a lot about language and words. If you're analysing a tweet and it has a lot of likes, would that direct you more to see it as a, a positive tweet or not? I mean, how, how much could you be swayed by, by the metrics underneath a post? Not at all. Because if it's a tweet on your brand official channel and it has a lot of likes then it's either a positive tweet or your employees are very good at, uh, you know, clicking likes on your official account. Either way, this is not something that is going to provide so meaningful insight you because you're interested in kind of the earned social. And an earned social, it, has, it could have 200 likes but be a very, very critical tweet. This means that there are 200 people endorsing this critical viewpoint. But most of the Twitter influencers would definitely have this line, uh, retweets are not endorsements, so I wouldn't uh, count this particularly as an important data point. I would look at only the content in isolation. That's good to know, especially with the talk of Instagram removing likes, that shouldn't make any difference to sentiment. No, I'd say ultimately sentiment is either based on what's in, you know, what's in the words or what's in the pictures, and that's what determines yeah. sentiment. Um, engagement, you know, likes, comments and so on, that's a different metric altogether, um, and that's yeah. something that you can look at in the round alongside sentiment. Okay, so where are we going with sentiment? Where do we think we might be in three, five years' time? How do you think the machines would have developed? Do you think we will ever be able to remove the human element of analysis ever in the future? No, I remember Timo from Cision's point at a event a few months back. It was at the Ministry of Sound, actually, and I remember he said that, the, and I'm pleased about this because um, my business is about human media analysts, but the days of the human media analysts are not totally numbered. It's just that our role is going to change. We're not going to be analysing content. We're going to be training the machine, and I think that that's where and most we're importantly, heading. we're going to be interpreting the results. We're going to be sense-checking the machine. And um, so, yes, being also training the machine and being in the loop and uh, tuning models. But most importantly is the interpretation and what is also the kind of the redlining of the current uh, event, the storytelling with data. Because in the end, even though we might at one point have really good machine learning models to also create insight from the data, I don't see that coming anytime soon and I don't see this as a direction we would actually want to go. I mean, we want to have the human interpreting the data and delivering the data and the reports and the insight and the recommendation to the clients. We've talked um, about online articles and social posts. Again, just looking into the future, how about new platforms, new forms of communication? Something that's just come into my head is that there's been a lot of discussion recently around chatbots being considered in public relations. I mean, how do you start to analyse sentiment in these sort of new forms and your new platforms of communication, I guess? First question. Second part to that, do you analyse broadcasts and videos and YouTube videos, things like that? And it's just an interesting where we're going with, with comms and then how you analyse. So I see that question just in terms of those are essentially different media categories or media types and so long as you can get to that data in some kind of structured format then you can apply meaningful analysis to it whether that be on a sentiment level or whether you're looking for meaning and messages. So 
it's just a question of can you access that data in a in a structured and easy to interrogate way. Well, even if you can't access this in a structured way, you would end up analyzing it manually. But um, broadcast has been analyzed for sentiment for as long as there is broadcast. And same applies for um, YouTube videos. Um, the reason it's rarely done on a large scale is because it's expensive. But there is automation in this field as well. I know of companies who are developing models into processing uh, moving images. And uh, right now, most of them are talking about logo recognition. So not necessarily sentiment, but the sentiment in a visual environment would be really hard to codify. Like, for instance, now we're mostly looking at text. So if I look at a text of a YouTube video, like a sub the transcript of the YouTube video, it may sound really factual about, let's say, meat production, and, uh, uh, industrial farming. But then if the images are super disturbing of mistreatment of uh, animals, then a factual text would obviously be a very negative whole product, audiovisual product. So at that stage, I would say that it can be done, but it's manual and it costs effort, money and time. Yeah, I mean, I was just sat here again from a practitioner's perspective thinking it really needs a lot of setup. So the best time to start this is if you have a new client, start there, isn't it? It's like building that planning time for, for sentiment as much as you would with strategy all, and all of the other parts of measurement as well. It feels like sometimes it could be missed, but it's absolutely essential if you're going to prove success. Right? So where could, if people are just starting out, this it is such an interesting topic, where can people read more on, on this kind of thing or who can they follow other than your good selves on Twitter? <laughs> I don't know, I'll have to it's check the Cometric blog. It has, it's actually a pretty good resource for a lot of stuff. And yeah, I think we used to have a sentiment-focused blog post. I'll check it out. Cometric blog. And also both of your Twitter handles as well. I have a Twitter handle and I'm very active when I'm on events and I'm very lazy in between. <laughs> okay. My handle is not all yellow. Mine's just at Steph. Bridgman, S-T-E-P-H, and then bridge, and then man. I guess it's just a really important part of measurement. So, yeah, hashtag PR measurement and hashtag measure PR for anyone who's not following those course, hashtags. because well. it's AMEC Measurement Month, hashtag AMEC MM. Well, thank you both so much. I'm going to let you go back into the conference now. I know that the next ones have started and we will need to get in there. So thank you both. It's absolutely fascinating. Thank Thanks you. This is the PR Resolution Podcast. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter, at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.